Hello, everyone. Welcome to Disability, Inc., Include NYC's new podcast. My name is Lori Podvesker, and I lead the agency's policy work on education and disabilities. I'm also a parent of a delightful 14-year-old wise guy with cerebral palsy. Today, we're fortunate to have Kathleen Downs with us, a smart, witty, passionate young woman and self-advocate who is completely rocking it and has only just started. Kathleen is going to talk with us about how identity is formed for people with disabilities and her thoughts on inclusion and mainstreaming and much more. So welcome, Kathleen. Woo! Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, Kathleen, let's start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your background. Okay. Um, So I was born with cerebral palsy. Um, I... I'm currently in graduate school at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. I'm working on a master's degree in social work, and I also have my undergrad degree from U of I in community health and disability studies. Uh, I live on Long Island, and I like to uh, write for my blog and... I like to to read and do disability advocacy, and I like to laugh a lot. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's give your blog a little plug right now while we can. The name of it is? The Squeaky Wheelchair, because um, I really do have a literal, very squeaky wheelchair all the time, <laughs> but also I was thinking that the squeaky wheelchair gets the grease because... It does. You gotta keep squeaking, get people's attention. But that's never a problem for me because the chair is constantly squeaking. So we're good. Right on, Kathleen. So tell us a little bit about your disability and how it's influenced who you are, affected you, those around you. And, you know, I think it would be great if you could spend a few minutes focusing on that question as it relates to when you were growing up and what that looks like now. Okay. Um, well, as, as I mentioned before, I was uh, born with cerebral palsy, so I've always had a disability. I was diagnosed when I was about 14 months old, so unlike someone who acquires a disability later in life, I've always been this way so to speak and I don't I don't know a different reality Mm. you might say so um it's it's interesting I don't I don't walk independently as I mentioned I have the power chair and for people who don't really know what CP is it's I would describe it in simple terms as the, the messages between your nerves and your brain are all wonky. It's like sending a text message that doesn't make any sense. And it um, af- affects the ability to control all your muscles as a result. So here I am. Uh, I also have a twin sister that doesn't have CP. Wait, wait, wait. I did not know you were a twin. I have a twin brother. This is cosmic. Very cool. Yeah. So you have um, a twin sister who doesn't have CP. Yeah. And a lot of people are curious about that. It's because CP doesn't have a genetic component. So she 
was born without it. And yeah. And sometimes silly people who aren't thinking ask us if we ever try to switch. And I'm like, well, no, that wouldn't work out very well because I wouldn't be able to start walking. And even if she sat in my chair, I don't think she would be able to perfect all of my CP mannerisms. Totally. You know, um, it's interesting because, um, as I was saying, my guy has uh, CP as well. And uh, early on when we were uh, obsessed with finding out as much information as possible about CP, uh, discovered that it is fairly common uh, for twins to have CP or one of the set to have CP. Has that been your experience as well? Yes. Um, it's because it's more common in multiple births because a lot of cases of CP are from prematurity yeah. and difficult delivery, which is all more common in twins and triplets. So I actually know a whole bunch of people with CP that are also twins. It's like a regular twin festival when we get together. Um, and Sometimes both twins have it, sometimes only one, so it's, uh, it's interesting, but my, my sister looks a lot like me, so... Oh, I you don't look like her, I, she looks like you. I tease people that she <laughs> is the, the walking version of me. <laughs> you know, I just want to add, because, you know, this is audio, not visual, that we are being interviewed by our co colleague, Carly who I just realized is also a twin. So there's three of us here who are twins, the ultimate trifecta, shall we say. Very cool. I'm, I'm feeling the um, twin spirit today. Okay, so um, thank you. You know, it's interesting to hear about, you know, your multiple identities. We talk about that a lot here as well as intersectionality. And tell us, um, you know, uh, you're, you're a young woman in grad school who lives away from home. And what is it like using a wheelchair and having cerebral palsy, you know, going to school and being independent as possible? Walk us through a, a, a typical day for you at, at grad school in, okay. in the middle of the country. Okay, so uh, when, I was, when I was little, I went to... Uh, I went to main, mainstream school at the local school, and it was a fairly radical idea back in the 90s to have a person in a wheelchair at, in a so-called regular school like that in with my so-called typical peers. So um, <laughs> it, I know, what does it all mean, typical? Uh, but anyway, so, yeah. I always say that having the opportunity to be in the mainstream school has been one of the great privileges of my life because I know that there are so many people not that long before me that didn't have that choice. But it was still exhausting every step of the way. And it is really, really hard when you're one of the only people in your situation in the whole school because sometimes it would be like, we don't know what to do with you. Like they would li literally say, we don't know what to do with her. So it was, it was fr frustrating beyond belief, but I still say it was a mixed blessing because uh, le 
like I said, what a gift that I had the choice to go to a public school when a lot of people didn't. Yeah. But anyway, so when, when I went to college, I knew that I didn't want to be in a school where I was like mascot wheelchair kid again because... The token disabled person. Right. Because it was... People were... People were generally kind to me in high school, but I was still, like, yeah, the token wheelchair person, and everybody knew what my name was and knew I was a kid in the wheelchair, but not that many people actually took the time to really know who I was. And people were, people were nice enough, but that's different than being actually engaged with you um, on a personal level. Um, I think it was really isolating, especially when we got older and people started, you know, driving and going places independently that I couldn't do. And I still need a lot of help from my parents because when you can't even pee on your own, it kind of throws a wrench into your social schedule. And kids are not necessarily trying to be mean, but they're self-centered and it feels easier to leave someone like that out of your plans. So in a lot of ways, I was really isolated in high school and I was like, all right, I'm going to college. I am not going to be the only person in a wheelchair again. So uh, where I go to school now at... Is that where you went to undergrad too, where you are in graduate school? Yes. Okay. Uh, where I go to school now at University of Illinois, it's regarded as the most accessible campus in the country. And that's not to say it is a utopia with no, no <laughs> challenges. You know, things... Things happen, and you know you're you're still a uh, little fish in a big sea, or should I say a, a not so little wheelchair? But um, right, but um, there are a lot of people with different types of disabilities, and everything's very uh, built with accessibility in mind, and I actually. Uh, live on a floor for people with severe physical disabilities and there are um, other students that are going into related fields that work to help us get ready for school. So um, anything you can think of that you need to be put together for the day, you know, they help us get into our chairs, they help us go to the bathroom and get dressed and do our hair and all that fun stuff. So it's kind of like running a baseball team while you're also going to school. Um, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but good, good practice for learning to deal with people and good practice for dealing with reality that I'm always, always going to need a lot of help. And I like to, um, you know, tell people that it's like, a big thing in the disability community, especially among parents, mm -hmm. to like super, super push to do everything by yourself. And I, I understand the natural urge to want your kid to do everything on their own, but I think it's important to realize that you need to know when it's time to ask for help 
you know, there are maybe some things I could do on my own, like maybe I could put on my shoes, but if it's going to take me six hours and I'm going to be covered in sweat, is it worth it? Or is it better to invest my time in learning how to tell someone else how to put my shoes on the way I want them? And, uh, you know, learn, learn how to be good at asking for help in a way that fulfills all the things that I need. So I always you know, tell people, do what you can, but help is not a dirty word ever. Amen. You know, so, um, yeah, I live with 25 other people in power chairs, and we, we share a lot of the same staff, so it's really awesome to have each other to bounce ideas off of and, you know, talk about all the absurd things that happen to us <laughs> that have only happened to someone else in a wheelchair who's been there. Like, remember that time my tire fell off on the way to my Spanish class? <laughs> it's like, dude, that happened to me. Here's what you do. <laughs> so I love it's been fun. Like I said, not without struggle, but it's nice to have a group of people around you that are in the same boat because among your so-called typical peers you're generally not going to find someone to be like dude I was late for class this morning because the person that was supposed to come get me dressed did not come so I was in my pajamas until two o'clock you know totally. Mo most of your non-disabled peers are just going to be like well that sucks I don't know how to react to that and uh, you know, when you have other people in the same situation, they can, you know, help help you solve the problem or at least just vent with you in a very relatable way. Totally. I mean, I, I think what you're talking about is the, the power and value of community, which we're going to, uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about in just a minute. But, you know, two things came to mind as you were talking. One of them is... Um, I often see self-advocates uh, talk about interdependence, and I think that's what you were talking about, and, you know, there's a fine line. Um, for those of you who know me, you know I joke around, and um, I refer to people um, in the disability, some people in the disability advocacy world as being ideological and militant and, and wedded to thinking only one way. And it's my um, own opinion that, you know, there are no universal answers. There are no universal right ways to talk about people with disabilities, to uh, advocate. And, um, you know, uh, how do you feel about the word interdependent? Because, you know, in, in our world, the independent living movement is a, a, a key foundation to the disability rights movement. And so do you feel comfortable talking about what you just shared with us with your close friends who are heavily involved in the independent living movement? Yeah, um... I think that interdependence is actually a better word, or if we're going to continue to use the word independence, we have to know that the definition doesn't necessarily mean doing absolutely everything by yourself. That's right. Because 
obviously I need a lot of help in really noticeable ways and really concrete ways that most people don't at my age, but at the end of the day, everybody needs help with something that includes people without disabilities. That's right, it's universal. And I don't think that it's you know, fair to characterize people without disabilities as totally uh, independent and me not because we need help with such different things. Totally. So. It's a part of being human. So um, I'm curious and, and uh, you know, uh, contingent on your, your comfort level, wondering, you know, uh, because of my own experience as a parent raising a child with cerebral palsy and what the diagnostic process was like and what the emotional process is like, meaning that it changes uh, sometimes, you know, year to year, month to month, week to week. Um, were your parents proponents for you being mainstream growing up? Was that something that they, you felt pressure you needed to do? Did the school system try to talk them otherwise? Well, what was it like for your parents and, and your sibling? Because I, I, I have a sibling on the spectrum, and growing up, I there was a lot of stuff that was happening that people didn't talk about, yet I had a lot of feelings. Uh, so I was very young when this was all going on, and um, I was so little that I, I really had no idea what a, what a big deal it was to put someone with as significant a disability as myself into a public school. So I do know that my parents, they always saw me going to quote quote regular school with they wanted me to be with my sister but uh, they weren't like you know militant tied to that idea because they wanted to do what was the best thing for me so at the time the other option would have been to send me to um Henry Viscardi which mm. is a school for people yeah. with physical disabilities and they thought about it but they ultimately thought, you know, a academically and to be with my sister, it would be better for me to go to the, the public school. And even though I was mainstream, my parents were and always have been very good about recognizing that when you are mainstreamed and you are the noticeably different one all day, that it's really important to also be around other people with disabilities, so they were always conscious about finding things for me that were for people with disabilities. I think a lot of parents, um, you know, try so hard for the mainstream thing that they sometimes push away programs for people with disabilities because they're afraid, like, oh, my kid isn't one of those kids. Yeah. They, you know, my my kid is in with the regular kids, and I think they say that, like, well-meaning, but it's actually pretty offensive to basically say that you don't want your kid with people who are just like them, and it hurts me when I meet people that don't want their kid with a disability to be around people with disabilities, because... I think it's really terrible to to push a kid away from their own uh, 
you know, group of people that they belong to, I think it causes them to in, internalize a lot of negative things about themselves and about other people with disabilities. So I'm really fortunate that um, I went to mainstream school and there were great things about it, but there were also great things about the disability-specific programs that I went to. I did adapted horseback riding, I did an adapted dance class, I went to a camp for people with disabilities. So um, from a young age I was lucky to have a network of people that were in the same boat to kind of balance out some of the isolation that came with being the wheelchair kid in my school. And coincidentally, there's actually several other people with CP, like, right in my neighborhood. We always say that it was some kind of, like, cosmic fate event, that we were all born around the same time in the same place. That said, I'm not saying that every disabled person that meets another one is going to be friends, but there, you know, people with disabilities are just like other people. Some of them are awesome and some of them are the worst. So it's not that we're automatically going to bond just because we're d disabled, but it's important to you know, try to make some friends that also have disabilities. And even the people with disabilities that I don't get along with on a personal level, I still learn things from them because they are familiar with an aspect of the world that uh, family members and friends without disabilities can't always wrap their minds around. And uh, you were asking about my sister. Um, we we're lucky to go to school together, like I mentioned. Were you in the, the same classes ever? Um, in elementary school, we were not. In high school, we were in some of the same classes because, you know, the classes flip around. for. So we were in the same class sometimes in high school. Um, and we were really lucky for that. I mean, obviously, as I got a little bit older, there started to be some things that my sister can do that I can't. Um, like I said, it was a tough one for me when she started driving and I knew I couldn't. And, um, you know, there were always things when we were kids that, like, you know, soccer and the um, sports that I couldn't really do. So... I think that's another reason why my parents were conscious to pick things that were for people with disabilities because my mom especially wanted me to have something that was mine. Like mm -hmm. uh, Claire had her soccer teams and her volleyball teams and her uh, whatever and my, my mom wanted me to have some things that belonged to me which is why when people sort of stick up their nose and say, why wouldn't you just go to like a, one of those integrated programs where it's um, you know people with disabilities and without, those, those can be great, but also if you think about it, it feels kind of awful when there's a bunch of things that as a person 
with a disability, you are either not able or not allowed to join. And then, um, you know, the people without disabilities, they can you know, be, be part of everything. So it was kind of nice to have a couple of things that were just like, this is my thing that I do. Because that way, being disabled didn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. That's right. You know, I'm so glad that you're sharing everything you're, you've said. And we really uh, appreciate and respect and feel honored that you're with us and, and being so candid and genuine and forthcoming. Because, you know, these are uh, topics that we don't talk about enough. Um, you know, here at Include NYC, we spend a lot of time talking about inclusion and how it looks different for everyone, which, you know, you really highlighted. Um, and, you know, it, it, my guy's 14, and it's taken me up to now to realize that inclusion for him sometimes is being in an environment only with people with disabilities and being the best Jack he can be amongst his peers. And, um, you know, it's antithetic to what we perceive ideologically and theoretically as inclusion, but in reality it's not. And I think that's an important message for families to hear and individuals with disabilities. Um, because, you know, if there aren't, if, if programs that weren't specialized didn't exist, he wouldn't be able to do those things, which is exactly what you were saying. Also, I, I feel like it's, um, it mirrors real life. Um, you know, you talked earlier about, uh, you know, kids with disabilities, you know, looking down upon other kids with disabilities and, and being in gen ed settings all the time or with typical uh, kids and how that's got to be a real um, cultural shock as they grow older and go into the workforce or into the community because that's not reality. Um, okay, I'll stop ranting about that. <laughs> you wanted to say something. I was going to say... Um I think that one of the most disheartening things I've seen growing up is, you know, other kids who are intentionally or unintentionally taught by their parents to look down upon other people with disabilities. Like, how, how horrible to be, you know, a, a, oppressed by people who are in the same boat as you. Uh, the, the fancy term would be horizontal oppression, but basically I just think of it as like people within the disability community looking down on each other because, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I don't have that disability. That's I right. don't, I don't need that. And it's like, come, come on people. We got to stop that. We're, it's we're divisive. All, we're all you know, in in this together, and we have more in common than we realize. And if we're saying that we want to be accepted and we want to be celebrated by the world, then 
we need to do that for each other also. Totally. And it mirrors other minority groups. You know, uh, there's, what did you say, parallel oppression? What was the term? Uh, Horizontal oppression is when people, people within the same group are, you know, being oppressive towards each other. Totally. And that is awful. Yeah, I mean, it it, it resonates with me, and I think about uh, the term internal discrimination, and as a gay woman uh, coming of age, um, you know, during the late 80s and early 90s, you know, I told myself similar things when looking at other gay people, and for me at the time, it was a way to cope and accept who I was, and, you know, there's um, a big part of me that thinks that what occurs amongst uh, different disability groups. Now, you know, feelings aren't right or wrong, but as you said, you know, we all have the same feelings, the same needs, and we all share the same agenda to move our people forward and and be valued. Right, and our ideas for how to move forward are sometimes different, and that's okay. How do you navigate that? So, like, when when you and, like, one of your... uh, close friends uh, who, who are also in, in the disability advocacy world don't see eye to eye on things. What is that like? I mean, I know what it's like for me with my colleagues uh, when I don't agree. It, it could be it could be intimidating at times. It is intimidating sometimes. And I try to have an actual discussion about it and step away when people Smart. are starting to get catty because... I don't, I don't want to have an argument. I just want to have a conversation about, you know, I feel that this thing that you did is gross, and here's why. Um, and, you know, ho- hopefully we can uh, all realize at the end of the day that we're, we're trying to uh, li- lift our tribe up, so to speak. Yep. Um, like, a big debate is always about language and what do we call ourselves and everybody has a different opinion and I think that's something that no one's going to uniformly agree on ever but we can't get so hung up on what to call ourselves that we're busy fighting about that and we forget that we actually just want people to accept us and we want to be visible to um the world around us. Um, me personally, um, I understand where the person first language movement comes from, mm-hmm. but I feel very strongly that identity first language, that is to say, disabled person rather than person with a disability, is fine too, because in uh, in my view, if you're you know, overemphasizing person first, person first, you're implying that because of the disability, if you don't emphasize your personhood, someone might forget you're a person. And it's like, well, <laughs> I know I'm a person already. And also, my parents never taught me to see the word disabled as a negative adjective. So I just kind of tacked it on to who I was. Like, the same way you would say you're an American, or you're a woman, or you're whatever you are. Being that's, factual about it. That's that's just part of who I was, and I feel 
I don't need to remind you all the time that I'm a person. If you can't see my personhood behind an adjective, then that's your problem, not mine. And I think I, if you applied the same logic to other groups, it would sound silly and cumbersome. Like, what if all the time we were like, woman, why would you call yourself that? You're a person who is a woman. It's because other people's personhood is assumed, and I think we're still at a point where disabled people's personhood is overlooked, and it's sad to me that we have to emphasize it so hard linguistically, and that there are people outside the disability community saying, why would you ever call yourself that? And it's a, the, the shame in the adjective comes from how other people view us, not, not me. So I'm not gonna freak out and yell at you if you use person first language, but I'm also okay with it if you call me a disabled person. Right on, Just right on. Please don't use any of those cheesy euphemisms like uh, differently abled. Ugh. Cause that doesn't mean anything to me. Everyone has different abilities. It totally overlooks the distinct experience of being disabled. Uh, I visualize some kind of cartoon where there's like a spectrum of dis different abilities and it's like plate, plate juggling, flame throwing, and on the far side of the spectrum we have cerebral palsy. Like, it doesn't make sense to the different abilities. It sounds silly, it's not concise, and it makes it out like we don't have a distinct experience in the world versus other people, and we do. If it, if it wasn't 11 o'clock in the morning, I would say we should have a beer and celebrate that sentiment, because right on. Um, so moving forward, and it may be a little premature, how much time left do you have to finish grad school? I have one more year, so I'm finished with all of my classes, and now I just have to do my field placement. I'm going to be working with uh, the social justice education department at my school, so hopefully I'll be talking a lot more about stuff like this, and I'm really excited. Um, I realize I totally um, missed part of what you were saying before when you were talking about the process of parents, you know, navigating the fact that their kid has a disability. Uh, I wanted to say I totally get that it takes some time to wrap your mind around perhaps your kid is has not come into the world exactly the way you expected, but I caution you to be very careful about how you discuss that process because we see and we hear the way parents talk about us. That's right. And it is absolutely heartbreaking for the world to imply that the way the way you came out basically is this huge source of grief. I'm going to stop you for one second because frequently when riding the subway, I see signs from attorneys that are looking to make money and sue doctors and professionals when something is different about a kid, when they have cerebral palsy. And I have this visceral reaction right. where it's like, 
oh my goodness, why do we have to monetize off right. of someone's differences and frame it as something that has to be compensated for? And I think that's what you're talking about. It's complex because I know that having a disability as severe as mine costs a lot of money to get the right services and the right care. And I'm fortunate that financially my family is able to do that. So I get it when a doctor causes a disability, so to speak, that to survive, some people do need the money from a settlement, but it's very, it's still very difficult to wrap your mind around seeing things like that, because it's so hard not to internalize, like, oh my god, am I, like, am I the disappointment that every, you know, pregnant person out there is dreading? Like, it's hard to imagine that, like, you are, like, the the oops that everybody is afraid of when they're having a baby. So I caution parents to be, you know, honest about how they feel, and I recognize that it's hard when things perhaps didn't go exactly as you uh, expected, but we're here and we're real people and we take the way people talk about us to cart and especially with the internet now the internet is forever so i find that a lot of parents on blogs and stuff they air their very raw beginning feelings about having a kid with a disability and they don't think about like hey maybe someday my kid will read that or maybe someday a kid with the same disability as my kid will read it and think, oh my God, were my parents disappointed? Like, am, am I a burden? Am I this? Am I that? And especially when you're a, a teenager, that's a big thing that young people with disabilities struggle with. So, you know, please be honest and real about your feelings. You can't tell anyone how to feel, but be careful about how you air those feelings and know which ones are, you know, better better off in a parent support group and not floating around on the internet or not in front of your kid. And I try to remind people that at the end of the day, you have a a living child and that is so amazing so instead of people saying like as long as it's healthy it, you know it's like kind of like mm, but what if it's not and you're sitting there like hmm so you're saying you hope it's not like me and obviously nobody wishes for a medical catastrophe or anything but it's it's tough to hear stuff like that so I you know encourage people to try to change their thinking to like you know if it's healthy great if it's able-bodied great if it's disabled also great we'll find a way I have a I have a living kid and that's such a gift Kathleen, I can't think of a better way to end than that last sentence and, and want to thank you so much uh, for being you. And, um, you know, we look forward to 
following you and your future and, and lighting the world up. Uh, thanks a lot for being here. And thanks to all Thank of you, you for listening uh, to Disability Inc. And um, we'll see you next time. Thank you.